Amen. Amen. Have a seat, please. And what a what a great crowd this morning. Amen. Praise God. That's awesome to see everybody this morning. I want to welcome you here again. Um, as Pastor Walter said, uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm thankful uh, to have everyone gathered here this morning. Um, some familiar faces that I hadn't seen in a while, and I'm just so thankful for that. And I also want to say hello to everyone that is with us online right now. Um, I want to bring to your attention for a moment as we continue in worship, as we're going to move into our time of worship in the Word right now. But before we do that, if uh, you want to, as you feel so led to give, you can give online at homesavenue.com forward slash give, or you can give as you exit uh, this morning as we continue in that time of worship. But uh, for today, um, I want to uh, bring to your attention for our passage today. We are in the book of Leviticus, continuing in our series, Holy God, Holy People, And we are in chapter 11 today, verses 1 through 47. Now, don't freak out on me. That's 47 verses, Pastor Brian. That's a lot of verses. It is a lot of verses. Uh, But I'm going to approach it a little bit differently than the way that I normally do as far as a format goes. Um, But we're going to see that the message today is entitled, Eating to the Glory of God. And you'll understand that more as we continue in the passage today. Uh, but I want to bring you up to speed if maybe this is the first time you've been with us as a guest or maybe this is the first time in a while uh, that you are, uh, be with us here. Um, but we've been journeying through the book of Leviticus and those first seven or so chapters we were learning all about uh, the purpose of offering sacrifices for atonement for sin, those different things. We looked in chapters 8 through 10. We finished up chapter 10 last week and this establishment of the priesthood and all that comes about with that. And then today, we're going into chapter 11. Matter of fact, we'll be in all of chapter 11. We'll finish it today, Lord willing. Uh, And we will be in, we'll see in the course of the next several weeks, chapters 11 through chapters 15, uh, is these purity laws by which the people of Israel were called to live by. And one of those specifically today is involving uh, what they were to eat, clean and unclean type animals. Uh, For today's text, we're going to see the rules by which God commands the people to eat, as I said, um, designated between the clean and the unclean. And I'm going to have, you can probably already asking yourself the question, why on earth would God have the people do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. And we're going to cover that in a moment. But uh, what we're going to do for the passage today is it's a lengthy passage. We still honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to have have you guys sit. I'm actually going to read through it all at the beginning uh, because of the way in which I've formatted for today. So if you would, their words are on the screen. Read with me along with Leviticus chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, and choose to cut among the animals that choose, <clears throat> that chew, excuse me, you may eat. Verse 4, Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part of the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Verse 9. These you may eat. 
of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether it is whether in the sea or in the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have the fins and scales of the swimming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not detest their carcasses. And you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. All winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours you may eat, and those who have jointed legs above their feet with which you hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all the other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until evening. And he who carries their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. Verse 29. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground, the mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all the swarm. Whoever touches them, when they are dead, shall be unclean until evening. And anything on which any of them falls, when they are dead, shall be unclean. Whether it is an article of wood, or a garment, or a skin, or a sack, any article that used for, for any purpose, it must be put in the water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could... <clears throat> that could be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean, and all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean, and everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if, wa- but if water put on the seed and any part of their carcasses falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall, be, shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours and whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourself detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourself with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy." 
You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beasts and birds and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we've had so far to lift high the name of Jesus, Lord, to worship you in song and praise. Father, I rejoice and I celebrate in what you're doing, Lord, through our outreach to our community and many things you're doing in the life of our church. And Father, now, Lord, as we are gathered right now, Lord, to proclaim your word, I pray, God, that you be with me as I proclaim it. God, that you would make all distractions fade away, Lord, that, that you would guide my mind, my eyes, everything, Lord, to speak the words that you have me to speak, to see the things that are here before me, and that you may be glorified in this place. Lord, speak to the hearts of our people, each and every one of us, myself included during this time. Lord, call us to repentance if it's necessary. Call us into whatever it is you want us to step out in faith and do next, whatever it may be, Lord. If today is the day of salvation for someone, Lord, I pray that it would happen, Lord, that your will would be done during this time. May you increase, may we decrease. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, in this passage today, we must understand that God, sovereign God, is ruling over all we do, even what we eat, and therefore we glorify him with our lives, submitting to him and setting ourselves apart from the world. Now, we may look at this passage today and we may say, wait, why? What is the purpose? What does it mean? Do I, as a Christian in 2021, do I have to follow all of these guidelines? Because we we know it, we believe it here at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church. This is the inerrant, divinely inspired word of God. There's uh, authority in our life to follow the word. So as we read through Leviticus and we see all of this, What in the world does that mean for us here today in 2021? Do we have to follow every single thing that is listed here? And the answer very quickly is no, because of the new covenant that is established through Christ. But the purpose of why God had the people to do this is very, very critical and important for us today as followers in America, in the world, in 2021. Now, It's broken down into some very specific categories by which we see these clean versus unclean animals. And, And in our attempt to understand the why, we must go back to the foundational understanding that we've seen through Leviticus so far. There needed to be rituals and things laid out by God for the people that had the mediators, the priests, there on their behalf to mediate between them and God so that the people could be made right. Because what happens? Their sin does what? It separates them from God. Same is true for us. There has to be all of these things for them in this context, and there has to be something for us. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point that you can jot down is this. God's people are set apart. 
God's people are set apart. Now, I told you it's going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to keep going back and forth to each verse, and, and, and I think you'll see the picture of why at the end. But God's people are set apart. This passage shows us the ways in which eating items were unclean or even touching dead things would make a person unclean. We know that there are specific types of taboos, if you will, in the world today when it comes to specific foods, especially here in America compared to other parts of the world. For example, here in our country, if you went and you took man's best friend, which is what? A dog. And you went to try to eat that, what would happen to you? you would probably get prosecuted and arrested for animal cruelty. It's man's best friend. Here in America, in our, cult- our culture, that is by which we have that. Now, I, my dog, Oliver, my beagle, he can be a pain in the rear, but I would never do anything to harm him and then put him on the table. <laughs> like, that would never happen. However, if you go to other parts of the world, a dog, as gross as this sounds, is a pretty common thing that you would eat at the dinner table. Ew, right? That's weird. It's weird. Who in here likes a good piece of steak? Praise the Lord. A bunch of, bunch of Baptists in here. We love our steak, right? In other parts of the world, for example, like India or somewhere like that, a cow is a sacred animal. You wouldn't dare. You wouldn't dare take that and cook it and have it for a meal, okay? We all like some good burgers, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord for a good burger. By the way, if you want a good burger, you can go down to Coney Island over here on Park Circle and Spool. They got an amazing smash burger. Just putting that out there as you guys think ahead for lunch. But it's delicious. It's not good for you. And that will also apply to what I say in a few minutes. So thank you, Lord, for the conviction. Um, but anyways, so you've got, you've got to understand, like, there's some taboos when it comes to certain kinds of foods in the world. Who in here loves some Chick-fil-A? Come on. It's the Lord's chicken, right? Hallelujah. We love it. You know, it's some good stuff, especially with some Chick-fil-A sauce. I'm making y'all hungry, and they're closed on Sunday. Look at that. I messed up. But we all love, my, my mom works at Chick-fil-A. She said, thank you. <laughs> but we, we all love the Chick-fil-A. We all love some chicken. But even in other parts of the world, that's, that's not a common thing that you would normally eat. You see, Israel's dietary laws in this day that we're reading of from Leviticus chapter 11, this law is made by God to do something very specific for the people, to set them apart, to set them apart, to make them distinct. This was the purpose. Now, we have to remember, title of the series, Holy God, Holy People. Because God is holy, he calls us as his people at this time as well in the book of Leviticus, he calls the people of Israel to be holy. In fact, one of those verses that we just read right towards the tail end, a set of verses actually in verses 44 and 45, read this way. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. We see that God has desired for this to be because his people were to be distinct, to be set apart from others. 
I love how the great biblical scholar that is no longer with us, he's in the presence of the Lord now, Warren Wiersbe, he says this in his commentary, Be Holy, on the book of Leviticus. The main purpose of the dietary code was to remind the Israelites that they belonged to God and were obligated to keep themselves separated from everything that would defile them. Why is it that they had to be distinct? Well, it was because of this decree of holiness from God. Scholars will differ on their opinions as to why specifically God would determine these clean animals versus not. But as we've already said, the most fitting purpose is the fact that he wanted his people to be set apart as distinctly as possible as God's covenant people. And quite honestly, if we can all agree for a minute, he's sovereign God over all things. If he says something, we do it, right? No matter how much we want to, in our own sinful self, pick and choose and say, I don't necessarily like that. He's God. He says to do this, we must be obedient. That is the call for every person that is one of his children. Those of us that are covered by the blood of Jesus, that have surrendered our lives to Christ here today in this place and online, that is our purpose. For the people of Israel, he is sovereign God. He has said, this is what you will do, and you will do it. And as we learned from last week, in chapter 10, at the very beginning, Nadab and Abihu, they were immediate right after seeing God provide the fire on the altar in chapter 9. At the very end, in 924, the altar is there. People are in praising God, and they're just in awe on their face. And then the next two verses, chapter 10, verse 2, Nadab and Abihu go, and they offer unauthorized, strange fire before God, and they're done. God takes those things very seriously. God says to do it. We are expected to be obedient to him with that. God gives these laws, and he's doing all of this. As he's already said, he brought them, what, out of the land of Egypt. He has brought them out of the land of Egypt. They are no longer slaves. They are no longer under all of that. They have been taken out. God, in an amazing way of doing it, has provided the way for them to be free, to take them out, to prepare them and move them towards Canaan in the promised land. He is doing that. He is separating them. He is moving them and preparing them for the way. Because we have to remember, the Canaanites, there's some bad people. There's some people that don't want anything to do with God. They're pagan worshipers. They have nothing of a desire of praising Yahweh, the holy God. These people were ungodly, and they did things that were not pleasing to God. Therefore, God did not want them to be mixed up in the fellowship with them. You will be distinct because you are my people. And as you engage with the other people that are not my people, you will be distinct. They will know who you are because you follow this. Does that sound familiar for us today? As we engage a lost world that is around us that we so desperately want to see come to faith in Christ, we tell you week after week after week, we pray that every man, woman, and child in our circle of accountability has multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. If that is our heart's desire, we know that those people that are out there that are not in a relationship with Christ, they are lost. And us being holy people, separated, distinct, because of the blood of Jesus that was poured out on Calvary that we will so faithfully and praise God gather together to celebrate on the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Because of that, we are distinct. We are distinct people. And we should look different to the world that is around us. That doesn't mean that we go around and we take our Bibles and we thump them on the head. But it does mean that we live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God. And when people see us, they say, my life is in a mess. 
But man, even when you having stuff going on in your life, you are distinctly different. What is going on? And we can stop and say, yeah, hey, my life's a mess too. But let me tell you why I feel like everything is just under control right now. It's because of the one that sits on the throne that is in control of it all. And I have been bought with his son's precious blood that's been poured out on Calvary's hill. And he's defeated sin and death and resurrected from the grave. We have to be distinct. These people had to be distinct. Now we see the classifications by which God lays out in this four kind of part way of doing so. And these won't be on the screen, so you have to listen very well, very clearly. But the first thing we see is the land creatures. And you can jot in your notes verses one through eight. The land creatures. This would be, these would be the ones that would cover the oxen, the sheep, the goats. They were the kind of the principal domesticated type animals. Wild game is also one of them. And matter of fact, you can tie that in with Deuteronomy chapter 14, 5 that says the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. So those kind of wild game type ones, those are the ones that he's talking about here in the land creatures. He also says that chew the cud, which means, and this is very gross, but when they chew the cud, they would swallow their food without chewing it. And then those animals would store it temporarily in one of their stomach compartments, and then they would regurgitate it, rechew, and then swallow it to digest. That's nasty. Somebody said, ew. That's right. That's nasty. As somebody that had esophagus issues last year, it's nasty. I'll just tell you that. It's nasty. But that's, that's one of the ones there for the land creatures. The other one we see, sea creatures, verses 9 through 12. These are fish that at this time, they were not necessarily common to the people of Israel. Matter of fact, they were imported, these fish that would come in. Now, we know reading through the New Testament, as we see the Gentiles, they, that what was a big population of things that they did in Jesus' time? They fished. But for the people of Israel, this is not necessarily a common type of thing in ancient Israel's diet. And so these things were typically imported. And the important thing to note is that God said they had to have two features. They had to have fins. They had to have scales. Some of those examples of ones that could not be eaten were eels and shellfish. They were viewed as imperfect because they lacked the two. And just as verse 12 said, everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. The third kind of area that we see in this breaking down is sky creatures, verses 13 through 23. Here's some of those that are examples of those that are detestable. The eagle, bearded vulture, black vulture, kite, falcon, raven, etc. They were all considered detestable. Many of those are what? They're carnivores that fed on dead meat. As we'll see in a minute, dead meat means what? Unclean. Examples that we see that are suitable, and we've seen this so far all through the book of Leviticus, is turtle doves and pigeons. Those were kind of the common things for the common person that they would use for a sacrifice. And so turtle doves and pigeons, of course, those would be okay. Winged insects that were bound on the ground, they were detestable, but not those that had the jointed legs. Those were clean. Things of that were like a locust or a grasshopper. And what does that sound familiar like? A locust with a diet. Who does that sound like for those of you that are biblical scholars? John the Baptist. We get into Matthew's gospel. We know from Isaiah's prophecy that there is one in the wilderness that is crying out to make way of the path of the Lord, that being John the Baptist. We get into Matthew's gospel, especially when you get into 
excuse me, in the very beginning, Matthew 3, 4 in that area, we know that John is in the wilderness and he's eating on locusts. And then lastly, the ground creatures, verses 41 through 45. All were considered unclean, snakes, lizards, bugs, rodents. A person would even make themselves detestable with contact with these creatures, which in my defense is exactly why I hate snakes. Just putting it out there, nasty things. Sorry if you love snakes. We also see how a person is considered unclean by the touching of the dead carcass of an animal. Now, if you just took that list that I gave you and the breaking down of the verses, you may have noticed that I skipped over verses 24 through 40. Well, the purpose of that is because it's it's fixated here on this section. This would be the dead carcass of those that God had already called unclean, plus even those that were clean. Kenneth Matthews, you know that I've quoted him a lot during this sermon series with his commentary. It's just so rich and good. He says, since God was the God of the living who delivered his people, it was offensive to God that the dead were in his presence. Remember last week, I already mentioned at the beginning, when Nadab and Abihu, when they sinned against God, they were struck down. But what happened? Aaron's cousins, the Levites, would come in and they had to remove the body. Touching the body of a dead carcass meant a ritual contagion, and it made the person unfit to remain in the camp, and the only way they could return was through proper ritual cleansing. Now, very quickly, another list. There were three different types of categories of the dead. Verses 24 through 28, it was the carcasses of forbidden creatures. Carcasses of forbidden creatures, 24 to 28. They were already considered unclean for consumption, but God said their bodies were corrupting. The swarming creatures on the ground, verses 29 through 38, any direct or indirect contact had to be dealt with. And then the carcasses of creatures permitted for eating, 39 through 40. The person who touches the approved dead animal was unclean until the evening. God even directs in verse 40 of how they are to go about being made clean. Now for us today, under the new covenant, because of what Jesus has done, we understand from Paul's writing specifically in Romans 6.23, a verse that we all could probably quote, those of us that have been in church for any length of time. For the wages of sin is what? It is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of that verse. The first part is what I'm specifically talking about here, and we'll talk about the other in a moment. We will come back to that in that second part. Death happens as a result of sin. Death happens as a result of sin. We know from looking in the Bible, reading from the very beginning all the way through the end, that at the very beginning, everything was perfect. There was perfect communion between man and God. But Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes and slithers in, and he spits lies at Adam and Eve. And in that moment, they sin against God, and sin comes into the world. And what is a product of that sin? Death. Death. We know in our own lives, each and every person in this room or watching online, every single one of us have experienced death in some way, shape, or form. We know the pain that comes with that death. We understand it. It is hard to navigate. It is painful. 
But the reality is this. For anyone who has eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done, we know that death is what? Only temporary. Because on this side of heaven, life ends. But the moment a person that is a believer in Christ Jesus, they are in the presence of the Lord. Death is painful in this life, and it is a result of sin. Another reason as to why it is so important to point out, they had to be away from these dead things because it was detestable unto God. All a product of the sin in this world. But here's the beauty of it. God's people are set apart. God's laid it all out. God has made the way for his people to be set apart. The people of Israel in this moment, the Jews that were there in Israel, but for us today, the saints that are gathered at Holmes Avenue, at Cooper River, at Portside, at Center Point Church at Remount, at Friendship Baptist, and all the other churches, Restoration Community Church, we are all able to sit and gather and worship because, point two, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. This purity law has to be set in place because these things are detestable. These ways of which things had to be separated had to be there to be pure. All the stuff that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, they all had to be there. But Jesus, for the New Testament church, for us today, under the new covenant, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. We see Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We have to remember that statement because it is a very, very important statement for us to understand the beauty of the gospel. Jesus did not come to be done with the law. Jesus did not come to abolish it, to say that's worthless. Jesus came to fulfill it, which is a beautiful testimony to us as the church, to understand. Although there are times when we read through the Bible and we're reading the Old Testament, and if we're honest, there are times we're like, man, this is, this is hard to navigate through. If you're honest, even now, as we've been going through Leviticus, this is hard to navigate through. But every bit of it, I pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit reveals to you or has revealed to you and will continue to reveal to you the beauty to show you that this is all a picture pointing to Jesus. Because that is the beauty of the Old Testament. In all points to Jesus, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of the law. God's people could not fulfill the law because of the effects of sin. Therefore, God had to send Jesus. A dear friend of ours, Walter and Richie and I, Justin Dieter, that we went to CSU with, I was listening to one of his sermons through this in Leviticus, and he says this, and I just thought it was so good. The law amplifies the reason for why Jesus came and who he is. The law amplifies the reason for why Jesus came and who he is. What was the purpose of these laws? The laws were set in place for the people to be able to purify themselves and to be in good standing with God. The law also points to a major, major issue that is inside of each and every one of us, that was inside of the people of Israel, that is inside of the people here today. And that is that our hearts are defiled, wicked, and sinful. The prophet Jeremiah says in 17.9, the heart is deceitful 
above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? Why? Why is our hearts, why are our hearts so desperately sick? It's because of the sin that we're born into. It's because of our flesh. Just like we see the purification process in this passage today, each of us today has at some point in our life, or if you do not know Christ, you still need this in your life. We need to have the purification of the sin in our lives that only comes through the precious blood of God's only begotten Son, King Jesus. It has to. Just as a specific diet of the people of Israel set them apart from the pagan Canaanites, from all others who were not God's people, Christ Jesus, he alone sets us apart because of what he did on Calvary's hill and his resurrection from the grave. It's because of the new covenant that was established by Jesus, his sacrifice, his defeat of sin and death, his glorious resurrection, that God's people are no longer distinct, hear me, by ethnicity or by location. The people of Israel were Jewish people of Israel. They were God's people. Because of what Jesus has done, the beauty of the gospel it's for anyone, anywhere, who would repent and believe. Thank you, Jesus. You may be wondering how that diet, how that can apply, and, and still trying to put those pieces together. And I'm going to read to you a, a very quick passage from the book of Acts that I think will help us get some clarity. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. I just have to point this out. The beauty of the Holy Spirit and his divine way of pointing things out to us and the beautiful way in which God has created us I don't know if you're like me, but man, I, I read a passage like that and the image of it all just plays out so beautifully in my mind. And, th and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I just had to point out, it's just so beautiful to see how God does that. But in this passage, we see Peter has this vision. God directs Peter to eat what originally in Leviticus 11 was taught not to eat. Peter was a devout Jew. He did not want to do anything against what God had commanded. But God tells him, do not call common what God has made clean. What is the applicable point for that for us to understand? It's critical for us to understand because the believers living in 2021, hear me, this shows that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all who repent and believe, as I've already said. 
This made the way open, and it all points back to Jesus and what he's done. You have to remember, this is Acts 10. This is Acts 10. Jesus has already defeated the grave. The curtain of the temple has already been torn in two. There's no need for a high priest to go in on a day of atonement and to do the work to atone for the sins of the people. God has opened the door for there to be anyone who would repent and believe to come into the family of God. Later on in that passage of Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches the good news of the gospel to Gentiles, people that were often looked upon by the people of Israel as, no, those are not God's people, and rightfully so, because at that point they were not. But Peter preaches to the Gentiles, and we know that the Holy Spirit comes upon those people. The beauty of the gospel being made available to all who would repent and believe because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Hallelujah. Lastly, eat to the glory of God. Eat to the glory of God. Although the new covenant does not require a specific diet, we should still be mindful of the way in which we eat following some of the examples of Christ. I'm going to give you some of those in a moment. I'm going to ask you a question. I just want you to think about this and wrestle with this for a moment. Have we ever thought about the way in which we eat and what we eat reflecting what we worship? Just think about that. Have we ever stopped and thought about the fact of what we eat and how we eat reflecting what we worship? Now, I'm not about to give you a whole dietary plan, so don't think that. I'm not going to give you a nutrition plan. You're welcome to come and work out with me sometime, but I'm not going to do all that. We know from passages like Colossians 2, 16 through 17, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul is telling those under the new covenant to not allow anyone to push them into following old covenant regulations regarding a diet. And I know I've given you a lot of scriptures, so please forgive me, but the last one I'll give you is this. One of the last ones, 1 Corinthians 10, 27 through 33. If one of the unbelievers invites you to a dinner and, are dispo- and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising a question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So whatever you eat or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Paul in that passage is describing the power of Christian liberty and the fact that Christ is the one that has paid the price for us, being in Christ, used for the best for the people that we encounter. It's for the sake of the mission of God and our trying to be a light for Christ to a lost person, to lost people. We can accept anything that is offered to us as long as it's not offered in sacrifice. Give you an example. God opens the door for our church to start sending people out on mission trips. That is our prayer. We start to go to foreign countries. 
There's some times where there's gonna be some things that we're probably not used to eating that somebody may offer to us as long as it's not offered in a sacrifice that we need to partake of even if it makes us feel weird for the sake of the mission, for the sake of being able to sit at a table with a person and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've heard me also reference Dr. Alan Mosley, a professor at Southeastern Seminary, and I'm giving him all the credit for this next this next little tidbit, just very quickly. He puts this in his commentary, and I've got some of my stuff in there, but it's just so good. He needs to get the credit. He offers four examples when it comes to eating that we see from Jesus' example, and I just think it's so important to point these out. Number one, that we use mealtime as a mission, that we use mealtime as a mission. He says in there that Jesus hung out with all kinds of different outcasts, for the sake of drawing sinners to salvation. We think very much of anybody that's been in church for a period of time. You remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Y'all remember that? I'm not gonna sing the rest. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector and Jesus shows up on the scene and he gets out of his way to, to find Jesus and Jesus comes into his household with him, much to the chagrin of all the religious people. Jesus did so to meet him where he was and came to God. It's a good reminder for each of us. And hear me out. This is not saying that we don't do stuff like this. We just did our spaghetti dinner. That is a different context by what I'm saying because we are providing a service to the community and God in his beautiful divine power has brought people in here that we have never even once connected with just this past Friday night. So I'm not saying that when I say this. But we have, as followers of Jesus, a higher chance of having gospel conversations, interacting with the people that we live, work, and play around, and the people that live right next door to us, inviting them into our homes, COVID-friendly, I get it, inviting them into our homes to sit at our dinner tables, than we do saying, hey, Mr. Ed is going to cook an amazing meal for us, y'all come to our church not saying that we don't do those kind of things, but we all have an amazing, amazing higher percentage chance of people saying yes, that know us, coming into our home and having dinner around our table and God opening the door for some beautiful conversations and gospel proclamation and prayerfully people coming to faith than we do just opening our doors and saying, hey, come to this event. Second thing, we use food to promote fellowship. We use food to promote fellowship. Our first biggest example of this is the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. It's this opportunity to remember what Christ has done for us. We're having a fellowship time with God. But we see that the early church themselves, Acts 2, they gathered day to day, house to house, rejoicing and fellowshipping with one another, giving of their time and efforts and, and items for each other. Thirdly, well, yeah, sorry, my thing timed out on me. We stop consumption that causes stumbling. We stop consumption that causes stumbling. Dr. Mosley uses the example of Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 where Paul wrote about eating meat offered to idols. And he tells the believers that it's okay to eat the meat offered because the idols, they don't exist, they're not real. However, he tells the Christians in Corinth that they should abstain from eating meat offered to items if the consumption caused other believers to stumble in their faith. 
The same is true for us in our daily consumption of food. Now, I tell you this in humility, I don't have it all right, obviously. I've been able to lose some weight, but that's, that's besides the point. I still mess up a lot, I overindulge. Gluttony is still a sin. But we should be mindful of our eating habits and bring God glory in those things. Our lack of discipline in that area could cause stumbling blocks for people. I'll never forget the example of, of Pastor Adam Spurlock at Restoration Community Church while I was on staff there before God called me here. Adam and I were talking, and Adam was very gracious to me. I was, I was struggling with my weight. And I remember Adam telling me the story, a true story, of another church here in town where one of the guys, when he first saw him, he was a bigger guy. And God had provided the means for him to become part of the staff and all of that at the church. And he saw him like several months later, and he's like, he went to the pastor of the guy, and he's like, hey, what happened to that guy? Like, he's, he's very healthy looking at all that. And he said, the Lord just made it very clear to him. I have to stand before the people of God and proclaim the truth and excellencies of God. I need to be disciplined in all areas of my life, spiritually disciplined and physically. And man, that hit home. Now, up until the last two years, it didn't really, really hit home because I didn't start making any changes in my life. But the Holy Spirit indwells me. I want, I want to honor God with the body that he's given me as well. Lastly, we subject ourselves to eating to higher priorities. There's the example of, of John's gospel in chapter four where Jesus is there with the Samaritan woman and the disciples have gone out to find food and 431 through 34 says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus basically does a, a little bit of a juke there, and he says, hey, fellas, you guys have gotten food. That's good. That was important to you. But what's important to me right now is for this woman to be called to salvation. Now, I am in no way saying that we don't prioritize eating in our lives. We have to eat. But we also have to prioritize, first and foremost, the things of God and his kingdom, what he wants for us. That's why we talked about Way beginning of pandemic last year, we went through the spiritual disciplines. One of those disciplines we talked about was fasting. You know, out of all the disciplines, that's one of the most least gone and sought after disciplines. We don't want to fast. There's something very, very powerful about fasting when seeking God and what he wants. Lastly, Kimberly, you can skip to the... Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 reference. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are, bless you, we are God's people. We are set apart for his glory because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Holy Spirit indwells us because Jesus has fulfilled the law. We eat to the glory of God, but also we do everything to the glory of God. Everything. I know that was a little longer today, but I will say this. We go into our time now before we sing our last song. The time of reflecting upon what God has said today. And I, I pray through all of that that God has spoken something to you. 
I want to ask that in these next few moments that we stop and we reflect and we ask God, Lord, what is it that you are saying to me? What is it that you have said to me today? Maybe I have heard it, but I, I don't want to do it. Forgive my, my disobedience. I repent of it and draw me to step out in faith and to be obedient. It may be that today is the day truly of salvation for you. Something may have been said or maybe you've been hearing something for weeks and weeks and weeks. And God's made it abundantly clear to you what he has done for you through the finished work of Jesus. And you have repented of your sins and you have cried out to God to save your soul. We want to know that. We want to celebrate that with you. Pastor Walton and I were talking this past week. We would love the fact on Easter Sunday to baptize people. Now, we're not going to baptize just to baptize but true people that have come to faith in Christ. What a joyous thing that would be. What a way to celebrate and give testimony to the people around us of what God has done. So if that's you, you need to talk with one of us. Whatever it is that God has said to you during this time, be obedient and step out and trust him and do whatever he's telling you to do. Let's take a moment of quiet reflection and then I'll pray for us before the band sings. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for just how good you are. We thank you and honor you, Lord, for being who you are, sovereign God over this world. Loving, caring, compassionate. Giving in grace and mercy that are not deserved. You're so good to us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as your word has been proclaimed, Father, that you would do a powerful work now in the hearts and lives of the people that are gathered here right now and listening online, those that may listen in the future. Father, I pray that if you are calling a sinner to repentance for salvation, Lord, that, that they would confess with their mouth, repenting of their sin, confessing of their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in their heart that, God, you have resurrected Jesus from the grave, and they are saved. And they want to tell the world about that. Lord, make it clear. Father, for those of us in here that have sin in our life, things that we're wrestling with, Father, I pray that you would draw us to repentance, that you would make it abundantly clear to us what we have been called by you to do and that we would step out to do the will of the Father, not our own. 
whatever you're doing now, Lord, I pray, God, that you be glorified in this moment as we cry out to you in song, holy. Because you are. And you have called your people to be holy. I pray, Father, that this church and our sister churches would all be known as that. People in pursuit of holiness set apart for the glory of God. Have your way, Lord. We love you and we bless you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.